mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, if technology skills represent the careers of tomorrow, and they do, then we have a problem. Only about one in four technologists are women. What are the keys to giving everyone the opportunity to shape the future? Also this morning in our Community and Business Spotlight, October is Domestic Violence Awareness Month. Open Arms is launching a new program aimed at making their services more accessible for victims. And members of the cast and crew will join us to preview the upcoming Fort Findlay Playhouse production of the comedy farce, Out of Order. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Monday, October 2nd, 2023. This is a perfect story for a Monday. Jumped out at me. One of the first things that I saw in the newswire this morning, four out of five coffee drinkers say that it is that stuff, the black gold, that gets them out of bed in the morning. <laughs> a survey of 2,000 American coffee drinkers found, uh, on average, we drink 460 cups per year, which sounds like a lot, but that's just a hair over one a day. Um, 48% say that their favorite is uh, just your everyday run-of-the-mill hot cup of coffee. 20% prefer cold brew. 18% want an iced coffee. 48% have tried to recreate their favorite drinks at home. You know, you go through the drive-thru at Starbucks or Big B or Dunkin' or whoever it is that uh, you put coffee to meet you, whatever you prefer, Uh, 48% have tried to recreate their favorite drinks at home. 74% are likely to try new coffee brewing methods. We're always open to something new. Uh, For those looking to improve their coffee brewing skills at home, uh, Brandy Gooden of Bun, you know, Bun, the coffee makers, the professional coffee makers, um, they say, Experiment with different techniques like variations in grind size or adjusting the amount of coffee you use. But I thought that was uh, really interesting. Four out of five say a cup of coffee is what gets them out of bed in the morning. So especially I wonder if that survey was taken on a Monday. (laughs) I would suspect that is the case over the weekend. Former President Jimmy Carter turned 99 years old. It was a milestone that, frankly, not many people expected. Uh, Some months ago, uh, it was announced that the president was entering hospice care. And I know hospice care can sometimes last for months and months and months, but most often when you hear hospice care, especially when it's involving someone well-known, someone famous, uh, generally, they hold off that information for a while, and they announce it, and you can pretty much count on having a celebrity obituary in the news in fairly short order. And several months ago, they announced that the former president was entering hospice care, and uh, I, I think most folks expected that he wouldn't uh, be around much longer. But over the weekend, turned 99 years old, birthday bash was held at the Jimmy Carter Presidential Library and Museum in Atlanta. Um, <laughs> they, they had to uh, get it done just ahead of what they were fearing would be a government shutdown. So they had the uh, birthday party, a uh, three tiered wooden cake was displayed on the white house lawn with the message. Happy birthday, president Carter. 
Uh, the former president born in 1924 is the longest living former president. Um, this past weekend, he and former First Lady Rosalind Carter made an appearance at the Peanut Festival in Plains, Georgia. So, for being in hospice care, he's doing pretty well. This seven months ago, he was uh, announced that he was in hospice care. Hanging on, President Jimmy Carter. I, you know what? If there is anyone that might end up living forever, it would probably be Jimmy Carter. You know, I mean, uh, what a fundamentally decent man. We, I remember we, when he entered hospice care and we kind of expected that maybe the end was near. Um, we talked about this. Uh, not the greatest president. If you look at the typical metrics we measure presidents by, but the most, perhaps the most fundamentally decent man ever to hold the office of president of the United States. Just a, a wonderful, wonderful human being. You know, the other big, one of the other big stories <laughs> over the weekend, lots of rain uh, in New York City at the end of the week and over the weekend at the Central Park Zoo, a sea lion escaped from her enclosure on Friday. There was so much rain, flooding gave the animal the chance to swim around the zoo <laughs> and she gave herself her own little private tour of the uh, central park zoo since then the water levels have receded and the animals are all now contained in their exhibit according to a spokesperson for the zoo um so after she did her own little private tour of the zoo the uh, sea lion went right back to her enclosure and she said okay i'm fine now <laughs> That's a lot of rain. It's a lot of rain allowing a sea lion to swim around the Central Park Zoo. But uh, kind of uh, kind of weird. She didn't make a break for it. She just wanted to go and see the rest of the zoo. So, And she's back safe and sound now. It's kind of cool. Um, let's see. Speaking of zoos, did you see this over the weekend? This is a, a story demonstrating just how strained... The relationships, uh, the the relationship between the U.S. and China has become. Atlanta will soon be the only place in the U.S. to see giant pandas by the end of the year. The two adults and two cubs, uh, the two adults and two cubs at Zoo Atlanta will remain the only pandas in the country because every giant panda uh, in the U.S. is on loan from the Chinese government. Um. The agreement uh, loaning pandas to zoos in the U.S. ends in December uh, at all zoos nationwide except Atlanta's. Um, So at the National Zoo in Washington, D.C., they're going to have to ship the pandas back to uh, China here in in the coming weeks. And uh, none too happy about it. The uh, pandas, while they are on display, have been uh, huge crowds, drawing huge crowds. Even the four remaining pandas in Atlanta are set to go back to China sometime next year. Uh, what would happen if they just decided, no, we're not giving, we're not sending the pandas back? It's not in their best interest to go back to to China. I mean. Would that would that start a war over? I don't know. I mean, China takes their pandas seriously, and uh, 
Yeah, I or we'll return the panda because the agreement states that if uh, the pandas give birth while they are on loan to the U.S., the cubs belong to China as well. I would say, you know, if we have a birthright citizenship for humans in this country, they should apply to pandas as well. I'm sorry, we'll send you back the adult pandas that were on loan, but any cubs, those are our U.S. quote-unquote citizens. We get to keep those. I don't think China would be too happy about that. But uh, yeah, uh, the uh, pandas at the D.C. Zoo and every other zoo except Atlanta going back before year's end. And uh, even the ones in Atlanta are going back in 2024, unless they can come to another agreement, which seems unlikely at this point. Chilly relations between the U.S. and China are to blame. Kind of interesting. And uh, how about this? Uh, This is a terrific story uh, for your Monday and gives us something to aspire to. The most neighborly city in the U.S. What would you guess it would be? the most neighborly city in the U.S. Uh, Give you the top five in reverse order. Rochester, New York. Sarasota, Florida is number four. Colorado Springs, Colorado is number three. Minneapolis, Minnesota is number two. And Madison, Wisconsin, number one, according to the 2023 rankings by neighbor.com. As we mentioned, we're coming up on the end of the year. This is when we get all of the year-end lists. And here is another one, the most neighborly city in the U.S., Madison, Wisconsin. Factors include crime rates, charitable donations, voter turnout, and volunteer work. Madison, Wisconsin, tops the list, most neighborly city in the U.S. Meanwhile, this I thought was kind of interesting, a new survey by uh, Regional Foundation Repair uh, finds that the state with the nicest people to delivery workers and you know delivery is we get everything delivered now you know amazon post office ups um food delivery grocery delivery everything gets delivered now so a lot of delivery drivers out there in america and according to this new survey the state that tends to be nicest to delivery workers, Kentucky, followed by Virginia and Georgia. So those are the three top states for being nice to delivery workers, Kentucky, Virginia, Georgia. Kansas, Indiana, and Washington State are at the bottom of the list as the least nice. I don't know that they're necessarily mean to delivery workers per se, but they are not as nice as those in Kentucky, Virginia, and Georgia. Ohio, by the way, ranks 14th overall, so not too shabby. Louisville, Nashville, and Las Vegas are the kindest cities to delivery workers. Uh, One in six Americans, it says, know the names of their mail carriers, and 51% of those in the survey have held the door for someone who is uh, delivering mail. So, I thought that was kind of interesting. Ohio ranks 14th overall, being kind to delivery workers. So, let's make that a goal today. Let's make that one of the things that you do today. Let's go out of our way to be nice to a delivery person, just because.
There you go. Some of the most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Monday morning started. WFIN News. I'm Matt Demchek. Your WTOL 11 weather. Mostly sunny skies expected today with a high reaching the low 80s. Mostly clear tonight, a low around 60. Hancock County Sheriff's Office Enforcement Captain Mark Price has announced he'll be seeking the Republican nomination for Hancock County Sheriff in the 2024 primary. Captain Price is a 25-year veteran of the Sheriff's Office and says he'll bring his career experience and leadership abilities to the position. I truly believe Hancock County is a great place to live, work, and raise a family. During my career, I've worked as a deputy sheriff and in administration. I have a diverse experience that makes me uniquely qualified to become the next sheriff. Hancock County Sheriff Michael Heldman recently announced that he would not be seeking re-election in 2024 after being sheriff since 1997. Ohio Governor Mike DeWine held a virtual news conference to talk about COVID-19 in the state. He said he wanted to address questions he's received in the past month. Now, the main thing, new COVID vaccines are available to the public. And he says it is time for people to get flu shots. And RSV shots are available now for infants and older adults. If you have a child from birth up until eight months, you certainly should be talking to your doctor about the RSV. According to the CDC, RSV is the leading cause of hospitalization for infants. I'm Yolanda Harris. The Finley-Hancock County Community Foundation approved grants totaling more than $894,000 at its September board meeting. Foundation President and CEO Brian Tree says a vast majority of their responsive grant making is focused on the priorities that the community shared with them as being important. Among the grants awarded, the City of Finley was awarded $8,700 to purchase critical equipment for the fire department. See the full list of grants awarded in the story on our website. After five wins in a row, the Finley Trojans football team fell to Anthony Wayne on Friday night, but the Trojans still had some big highlights in the game. Time, though, to put on a return for Reed Tisdale. Across midfield, 45, sidesteps a man, steps it up inside the 35, up the sideline, tiptoes the line, and he's into the end zone for a touchdown. The Trojans are now 5-2 and two on the season. They'll be back in action Friday night at Perrysburg. Don't forget, you can always get more news online anytime at WFIN.com. So now our cover story this morning. How many times have we heard an expert in economic or workforce development say that technology skills represent the careers of the future? You hear it all the time these days. If that's true... And yes, it is true. Then we have an issue. Women represent only 28% of all technologists. Just roughly one in four are women. So it is a field dominated by men. And if these are the careers of the future, we got to get more women involved. Well, last week, the Grace Hopper Celebration 2023 was held in Orlando, Florida. It is billed as the world's largest gathering of women and non-binary technologists. From that event, we got to speak with Jenny Anderson Frazier and Dr. Pamela Gibbs, Vice President and Chief Product Officer, respectively, for AnitaB.org, the nonprofit behind that event. I don't know, I kind of have to chuckle when I hear people talk about steering young people into careers in technology because I think every career is going to involve technology in the not-too-distant future, isn't it? I mean, we don't have to push kids into uh, into this. It's already here. You either get it or you get run over by it. 
I love that you said that because it is. It is pervasive in our society. We use it every day for everything. And so it is imperative that the technology is built by the people that use it. It is reflective of all the identities, intersectional at all levels. Absolutely. And, and so it's critical that we don't leave women behind in this equation. What are the primary challenges that women are facing in the tech sector today? The, the challenges that women face in tech are not exclusive to tech alone, but they are certainly amplified in tech. You know, if you think about the things that working women face is bias and sexism and pay inequity, then outside of work, they've got to worry about caregiving and the mental and physical load of maintaining a household. If you're a single mom, that is like really, really challenging. And every time that you add on an additional intersection, uh, parental status, marital status, age, demographic, geography, education background, uh, religion, uh, gender identity, everything is it starts to really stack the cards against people. And to Pamela's point, if those are the people who are building technology and they do not look and have the same kind of lived experience as the folks who are interacting and impacted by that technology, that's problematic not just for the women making it, in, in the industry, but that's also problematic for the rest of the world and, and all of us who have to rely on tech in a day-to-day. Yeah. So, uh, Pamela, we mentioned the Grace Hopper celebration. Give us kind of a, an overview of this event and the goal that your organization has of reshaping the industry. Well, our mission at AnitaB.org is increasing the presence representation and the advancement of women and non-binary technologists. And I don't know if you can hear in the background, but there are a lot of people here. We have about 30,000 attendees in person and online, in addition to upwards of 300 companies that are supporting our mission and vision of creating a more equitable tech ecosystem. And so it's an incredible event, prolific, that we have every year, and I'm looking forward to us continue to grow in that space. Jenny... Share some of the strategies uh, that companies and organizations, including your own, um, employ to impact that commitment to this type of diversity and inclusion that we're talking about in this space. Yeah, so I it starts with first just like acknowledging that there's a problem to begin with. Right? We can't solve problems that we don't know or acknowledge the existence of. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of like the companies that come here have acknowledged that this is a problem and have made a commitment to trying to solve it. And so some of the ways that they're looking to commit it to like we actually hold to those commitments the first by hiring. We have a really large career fair where there are thousands upon thousands of attendees who are here looking for their next role or their first role or internship in many ways. But beyond just like going and meeting candidates where they are and the environment where they, like where you know that there will be diversity. You also have to focus on what you do to retain those people and keep them in the industry. We know that half of women in technology will leave the industry by mid-career. And so if we only ever keep that hiring faucet on, but we never focus on the leadership level or that middle piece where they're developing in the leadership, we're going to be losing this battle forever. And so what a lot of companies are doing now is really focusing on investing in employees. So they're not just recruiting, but also retaining and rewarding and advancing those people. So, you know, focusing on things like professional development and employee resource groups and, uh, you know, specialized niche kind of even cultural groups to be able to help undo some of the underpinnings that keep women held back. 
and then creating really robust allyship ecosystems and structures that make sure that women get access to opportunities and social collateral needed to be able to advance their careers as well. I mean, also, and then of course there's policy change too. So it's not just like a one size fits all solution. It's this concert of all of these things together that yeah. really have to take place for us to make impact. So let's kind of zoom out a little bit again, as we were mentioning, if this is, if every career is going to involve technology on some level, and again, we're talking uh, about from those who use the technology, to those who design and develop the technology, but everybody is going to be touched by this. If we zoom out, then what can every uh, company and I guess even individual do to actively promote this kind of inclusion and diversity within the tech sector because I would guess everybody has a role to play. Absolutely. I think one of the most important things is seeing yourself as a technologist. A lot of times there's this idea that if technologist comes in one particular um, way, look, field, field, exact field on top of that, be an ally. That is incredibly important. Be supportive of those who are interested in going into technology and then support organizations like AnitaB.org, an initiative that we have 365 every day to increase the advancement and the participation of women and non-binary technologists in these spaces. Again, joining us from Grace Hopper Celebration 2023. And by the way, if you don't know why it's named for Grace Hopper, look her up. Uh, Jenny Anderson Frazier and Dr. Pamela Gibbs, uh, Vice President and Chief Product Officer, respectively, for AnitaB.org. Where do we get more information and uh, resources on this topic? Yeah, well, we made it really easy for you. Our website is our namesake. We were named after Anita Borg, who is a trailblazing woman in tech. So AnitaB.org, you can go there to find all the information that you could possibly want about how to get involved and how to make the most impact. There's another person that you should look up and learn more about. Ladies, thanks very much for uh, taking the time this morning. We appreciate it. Thank you so much. Now, the Good Mornings Community and Business Spotlight. In the spotlight this morning, we're speaking with Ashley Ritz, Executive Director of Open Arms Domestic Violence and Rape Crisis Services, the month of October, in fact, Domestic Violence Awareness Month. And so with that in mind, talk a little bit about what people need to be aware of when it comes to domestic violence generally. What do people need to know? Well, good morning, Chris. Thanks for having me. Uh, I think the most important thing for people to know is that domestic violence happens to everyone. It doesn't matter what your income is, what your race is, um, where you grew up. It, it affects everybody. Yeah. Um, and, of course, open arms, a lot of services to provide to those who have been touched by domestic violence. Yeah, absolutely. We pride ourselves at Open Arms on having six different programs and services for individuals and families affected by domestic violence and sexual assault. Those programs range from an emergency shelter, a crisis hotline, to a batter's intervention program for offenders. But a lot of people aren't aware that we have the various programs. Uh, especially, again, addressing offenders and also uh, sort of proactively uh, planning uh, for safety so that people don't find themselves in that situ- type of a situation. Absolutely. We feel like if we can stop the violence before it starts, right? Um, hence our prevention programming in the local schools, um, hopefully we can head it off and then we won't have so many 
survivors in the future. Exactly. Potentially. That's the goal. It's going to put you uh, put yourselves out of business if that is possible. Oh, I but, wish. <laughs> yeah. Um, and and by the way, when we talk about domestic violence awareness, obviously the uh, bulk of victims in this are women, but not exclusively. Correct. Uh, so at Open Arms, we serve uh, women and men. Uh, we serve everybody affected by domestic violence and sexual assault. You know, I think it's um, common for people to think that women women are the only victims, but mm-hmm. really, um, men can be victims too, and we've served several men in our programming. And for those who are interested in learning more about the programming, whether it be, again, the proactive type of programming uh, to prevent uh, things from happening uh, or in need of services in the event that something has happened and maybe someone needs to know where to go next, how do they get in touch with you? Sure. So you can find us uh, online, openarmsfinley.com, or we're also active on Facebook and Instagram at Open Arms Finley. And we also have a 24-7 hotline, uh, 419-422-4766, for people in crisis that can reach out for help. Now, we talk about the resources that you have and the programs that you have to help uh, those uh, involved in uh, domestic violence uh, victims and, in some cases, even perpetrators. But you have a new program to highlight uh, it is uh, Mobile Advocacy Services. What is that all about? Yeah, so we're really excited to be offering this uh, new programming to the Hancock County community. So what it is, it's uh, advocates will be going out into rural Hancock County and essentially um, setting up shop in businesses, schools, anywhere that's going to let us in. And we're going to be going to survivors, essentially. Instead of them having to come to Finley to mm-hmm. us for services, we're hoping to eliminate barriers such as transportation, maybe childcare if you don't have it or you're not able to get your kids here to Finley, or fear, or just simply not being aware of our services. Mm-hmm. So our advocates will be going out into the rural areas, meeting with survivors, and providing them access to services and resources. And this is an ongoing program? Absolutely, yes. Um, our advocates will be starting in October, uh, going out in, in, in the rural communities, and then at uh, some point here, hopefully, uh, we hope to add a mobile unit. So it will be an office on wheels and meeting space. So if there isn't a safe place for our advocates to meet with survivors, uh, we'll do that in the mobile unit. You have a number of these, as you mentioned, already lined up? We have one. Yeah, it's got a, well, well, a van, yeah, that we're going to hopefully be obtaining here in the next few <laughs> I months. I mean, as, as far as uh, the locations for this oh, that you be going yeah. Yeah, so essentially our advocates took rural Hancock County, looked at the rural areas. You know, there's several little communities out sure. there that don't have much, but, but they have just enough. So like a gas station or a li- the library or Macomb has a police station, you know, yeah. like those little areas and places that people might seek help or seek um, services at, our advocates will be there. And again, in the future, hopefully you'll have a mobile unit that will also uh, be able to go around to these various communities. The idea, as you were saying, is to remove those barriers because not everyone, as you were saying, victims are everywhere mm-hmm. and they are not just in Findlay. So this is one way of being able to reach more people. Exactly. Yeah, we want to eliminate those barriers as much as we can. So our, our mobile unit will be handicap accessible and we're you know, we really just want to try to reach people and, and help them the best that we can. So where do folks learn about the locations where you're mm-hmm. going to be, when you're going to be there? Because I'm assuming this will be, you know, kind of 
almost like the bookmobile, if you will. Sure. You'll be uh, there at, at certain points during the uh, month and, and so on. So Yeah, so we'll, we'll have it posted on our website and social okay. media for locations. Um, right now, we're still um, working on those relationships in the, right. in the rural areas, and we're, we're getting flyers out and making those partnerships Okay, right so now. look for information yep, about more that. More to come. Mobile Advocacy Services. And once again... Uh, mention how folks can connect with you if they are in need of your services. Yeah, we have a 24-7 crisis hotline, 419-422-4766. If you have questions, if you need help, please don't hesitate to reach out. We're here for those that are impacted by domestic violence and sexual assault. And that, that could be a survivor. That could be someone related to them, a friend, a family member that just has questions. We're here to help. Again, October is Domestic Violence Awareness Month. Ashley Ritz is Executive Director of Open Arms Domestic Violence and Rape Crisis Services. Ashley, thanks very much. Thanks, Chris. The Community and Business Spotlight is a promotional advertisement paid for by the featured sponsor. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. We begin this morning a story from the international file, although this sounds like something that would happen in this country. But uh, it actually, the story comes from Slovakia, where an unusual incident has led to the fining of a car owner. Car owner has been fined after one of those traffic cameras uh, caught his dog behind the wheel. (laughs) His dog behind the wheel. One of those speed cameras. Uh, The image, widely shared on social media, shows a seemingly grinning canine in the driver's seat. The car owner defended himself, claiming that his brown hunting dog had unexpectedly jumped into his lap while he was driving. However, authorities contested this explanation, citing video evidence that indicated no sudden movement within the vehicle. (laughs) It did not appear that that was the case. The dog was uh, driving, or at least he was in the driver's lap. That's a no-no. The nature of the fine, whether for speeding or for failure to secure the pet properly while driving, remains unclear. So, not exactly sure what he was fined for, but (laughs) it's never a good idea to let your dog drive. That's generally frowned upon. Not only in this country, but in Slovakia uh, as well, apparently. Elsewhere in the broken news, this also from the international file, a woman by the name of Moya Lothian McLean uh, went on one of the uh, news programs on Britain's Sky News uh, to debate misogyny uh, in the workplace. Um, that was the topic of the uh, of the debate: misogyny in the uh, workplace. It was uh, Moya and a, a man. Uh, the man's name is oh uh connor tomlinson he was the uh taking up the male side of this so he had a man and a woman uh debating misogyny in the workplace uh during the debate as she expressed her frustration with the whole issue he remarked i'm so sorry you're uh so ex- uh, you're too exhausted to be paid to go on the air to which she replied I'm not getting paid. Are you getting paid for this? <laughs> it turned out <laughs> the man was getting paid. She was not getting paid in a debate about misogyny in the workplace. <laughs> Sky News later apologized 
and and uh, offered Ms. Lothian McLean uh, compensation for her appearance on the show. <laughs> it kind of proves the point, doesn't it? I mean, it just proves the point that she was trying to make. Oh, <laughs> uh, there we go. You inv- <laughs> The news outlet invited... Uh, male and female on to discuss misogyny, but didn't pay the woman. <laughs> what what kind of a debate are you asking for? That's a, okay. Um, here's yet another story from the international file. And again, this is something that you could absolutely see happening in this country, but it comes to us from Australia where a man reportedly faked his own kidnapping so he could spend New Year's Eve with his other girlfriend. <laughs> so obviously this happened many months ago. Paul Ayera wanted to spend New Year's Eve with his other girlfriend. So, so he concocted a lie, an elaborate ruse, to hide his affair. On December 31st of last year, Mr. Ayera texted his girlfriend claiming to be a kidnapper who had uh, abducted uh, Paul. You know, like, I'm the kidnapper. I've got his phone. I've kidnapped your boyfriend. (laughs) His girlfriend, of course, naturally called the police. And a full strike force was sent out to rescue Mr. Aira. The police spent 200 hours searching for him. On the morning of January 1st, he was found... With his other girlfriend. (laughs) He first claimed to have been kidnapped by a Middle Eastern man, but the police found his story suspicious and after further investigation placed him under arrest, he has been ordered to pay a fine and perform 350 hours of community service. (laughs) My guess is he is no longer seeing his first girlfriend or probably his second girlfriend. I'm guessing that he's probably single at this point. Although, if you're the other girlfriend, you have to be impressed at the uh, lengths to which uh, he went to (laughs) conceal his affair. (laughs) Uh, Let's see. We do have a uh, story from this side, a couple of stories from uh, this side of the pond. A New Jersey man has been arrested for reportedly driving into a local police department. Not driving to the local police department, driving into the local police department building deliberately, all while blasting Welcome to the Jungle on his radio. (laughs) After driving into the building, 34-year-old John Hargreaves exited his vehicle with his fingers... Up like you know we're number like number one you know and he's given the you know number one side <laughs> so he plows into the police station, guns and roses blazing, and gets out of his uh, vehicle. He's like, yeah, <laughs> Mister Hargreaves narrowly missed striking an officer who fled the room mere moments earlier uh because he had to speak to his uh, sergeant he had uh, left the room so fortunately nobody uh, injured mr hargreaves <laughs> faces uh, charges including aggravated assault criminal mischief uh 
causing damage to the uh, building and even a terrorism charge. <laughs> he said he willingly gave himself up without a fight after plowing into the police station. What prompted him to do it? Doesn't say. I have no idea. <clears throat> and finally, the broken news this morning. A Texas couple is now facing charges of wildlife trafficking after attempting to sell a baby jaguar in a local parking lot. According to the Houston Chronicle, federal officials have accused Rafael Gutierrez, age 29, of selling a jaguar cub or attempting to for $7,500 in the parking lot of the McAllen Academy Sports and Outdoor Recreation Center. Uh, this happened back in August. Um, the uh, Jaguar is actually a Mar- Margay cub. It's a small wild cat species native to Central and South America. Um, Mr. Gutierrez arranged to sell the Jaguar cub. Oh, it's, uh, arranged to sell that cub and a Jaguar cub to the same buyer who turned out to be an undercover U.S. agent. Uh, Mr. Gutierrez directed his wife, 28-year-old Deanara Garza, to deliver a case of cash, but a traffic stop thwarted her plans. Both cubs have been recovered, and the couple was arrested. Uh, Notably... Uh, neither of them possess licenses for trading exotic animals. Um, jaguars, in fact, are protected under the Endangered Species Act. If found guilty, the couple could face up to five years in federal prison and a potential $20,000 fine. That's to sell a wild animal in a parking lot. It is, yeah, just... Nothing suspicious about that. Yeah, just meet me in the parking lot. I'll uh, show you. You know what I mean? That's uh, There's all kinds of red flags uh, in that story. There you go. Uh, That is uh, today's broken news report. An update on the odd and unusual side of the headlines, to be sure. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. When local news breaks, you can hear about it on social media at lightning speed. And while getting you the information fast is important, WFIN will always present the story only after verifying with actual sourced facts. This is WFIN News Director Matt Demchek. Trust the voice that's been covering the news in Finley and Hancock County for more than 80 years. You can depend on us to get the story right every time on social media, 1330 WFIN, WFIN.com, and at 95.5 FM. Time now for your daily download, the numbers behind the news and the statistics that shape our lives. This is a perfect item for a Monday, especially if you and your kid are barely awake at the bus stop in the morning. You are not alone. Uh, This is a piece from the Business Insider, quoted experts from various fields who agree that the typical American 8 a.m. to 3 p.m. school day does not work for the modern American family. You know, the idea that kids go to, you know, school starts at roughly 8 o'clock and ends somewhere around 3. I think it was when I was in high school, it was like 7 to 2.30. So, you know, some variation of that, roughly 8 to 3. Uh, that actually dates all the way back to the 1800s. 
uh, when kids were needed to work on the farm or the family business, and uh, they couldn't be away uh, too late into the uh, too late in the day. But that's not the case anymore. And that schedule, which has been around for centuries, literally, is not only incompatible with modern life. They say it is also, among other things, shorting your kids on the recommended amount of sleep that they should be getting. Not only that, um, 23%, nowadays, 23% of U.S. kids, nearly one in four, live in a household with only one parent and no other adult. Meaning that, if that single parent works, uh, school getting out at 3 p.m. is massively inconvenient they can't be there to pick up their kids or their kids become latchkey kids or they uh, need after school care which is incredibly expensive also census data shows that even if there are two parents in the household 63 percent of those families have uh, two working parents both parents work which causes the same problem uh bobby morgan who is an educational consultant speaking for the American Academy of Pediatrics asks, why is it so hard for schools to change? School boards for years and state departments of education have been very resistant to changing the common, you know, tried and true school schedule of 8 a.m. to 3 p.m. They say it is long past time that we take another look at that. So the Fort Finley Playhouse next production is the comedy farce Out of Order. And Assistant Director David Wright is with us in the studio this morning. Um, tell us a little bit about the show. I, I have to admit, I am not familiar with, uh, with Out of Order. So, well, Out of Order is a farce, and it's an English, uh, written by an English playwright, Ray Cooney. Okay. Uh, the play is a sequel of uh, Two into One. Uh, but okay. Out of Order has a cast of uh, six men and four women. Mm-hmm. And uh, as many other uh, Ray Cooney plays, it, it features a lead actor. Uh, in this case, it happens to be a junior UK minister, okay. uh, government minister, who has uh, lied his way out of an embarrassing situation. Uh, and in this <laughs> Imagine case, that. Uh, right. Somebody in, in high office uh, lying their way out of an embarrassing situation. Right. It's, it's not like that would ever happen. No, never, never. <laughs> But in this case, it's an it's a, a, a adultery with his secretary. Oh, with his okay. Secretary. All right. And uh, with the help of his innocent sidekick, which happens to be his parliamentary private secretary, mm-hmm. uh, uh, who gets involved and in, in everything gets more and more embroiled in increasingly tangled tale of um, which is improvised by the lead character as the events unfold. The action takes place in a, in a posh hotel suite in London. Okay. Uh, and it revolves around a series of accidents caused by a defective sash on a window. <laughs> okay. Um, All right. It, 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 now, is this, is this set in uh, modern day, or is this... Yes, it has, been, it has been brought in modern day. Okay. Uh, present times, and it is also... Um, there's no English accents that people will have to struggle with. <laughs> okay. Uh, a few of us pop into that. Based on the uh, the uh, how the script is written, yeah, 
uh, like the dodgy sash mm-hmm. or you know uh, um, you know having to use the loo uh, mm-hmm. things like that right but uh, right uh, cast of you know very seasoned uh, players mm-hmm. uh, many of the uh, audiences who have attended and the patrons that come will uh, will recognize many faces right uh, but we have uh, a couple new uh, um, rookies if you will and they're absolutely outstanding loving every bit of it yeah um, being uh, able to play with all of us the uh the british are so good at this form of comedy uh this i mean it's it's if you if you want a farce i mean you know uh, british is like the the top of the heap yeah. so and you can't beat this one this yeah. is a very very quick show Okay. Uh, it's very fast paced, mm-hmm. um, and uh, you know you, you have to pay attention uh, because it's very uh, uh, the the plot thickens and can, okay. and it just goes goes goes. So something you, you know, things you might miss if you right, uh, if you right. if you blink. Well, if if nothing else, that that uh, gives you the excuse to go see it more than once. Absolutely, so, <laughs> absolutely. And it's extremely it funny. Yeah. It's extremely funny. You mentioned that there are uh, a couple of new folks uh, yeah, who yeah. are uh, part of this. Yeah, production. we have uh, we have a gentleman that's uh, playing the character of Ronnie. Mm-hmm. Uh, his name is Matt Fix, and uh, we have a, a lady that's on, been on stage before. Um, her name is Linda Wilkinson, and uh, she uh, plays uh, uh, the untimely maid. Okay, uh, that pops in and out, and, she, and she's just absolutely wonderful. <laughs> I, I bring that. I mention that because you know we talk about it all the time. We have the uh, folks at the Playhouse. Uh, it is truly a community theater and open to all. And it's it's got to be great when you're able to welcome new folks in, especially to take on roles like this. Oh, absolutely, um, and it, you know it's great to you know have people have their debuts, mm-hmm. and it's also great uh, for people who haven't been in, in uh, on the stage in many years. Yeah, but the Playhouse is a community theater. It is volunteer, and it's uh, you know we, we always we are always very welcoming, and it's not just people to do stage work. You mm-hmm. know, if you if you're you know shy, um, you know we have just a plethora of backstage. Costumes, production people, right. lighting, yeah, um, you know, set dressing, uh, prop people. I mean, we we can utilize anyone mm-hmm. who wants to, you know, just come and have fun with a bunch yeah. of us crazy folk. How often does it happen where someone will start off behind the scenes and then eventually work up uh, enough gumption, enough bravery, if you will, to get out? Uh, in in front of the you know, audience. Funny enough, I got back into um, uh, theater again uh, back in 2019, mm-hmm. and it, it's funny. You know, a lot of uh, the people that I worked that were on the production side all of a sudden started peering in little bit roles, right? Um, yeah, because yeah, you know that they were talked into it, and it, mm-hmm. you know, it wasn't thumb screws or anything, <laughs> right? Um, but they say, "Oh right. my goodness, you would be great for this." Yeah, and you know, would you consider doing it? Mm-hmm. And you know, we, we don't. Uh, the directors don't necessarily, you know, throw them into a humongous role, mm-hmm. uh, but they, you know, they give them little bit parts. Yeah, get their kind feet of wet. You know, try them. things. Yeah, and normally, I mean, they're. Uh, they're absolutely great. It's got to be fun too for the seasoned veterans who are in multiple productions uh, every year right. to have someone new on the stage to play off of somebody that they haven't worked with before um, to to share the stage with uh, both creatively and also to mentor. 
So, oh, absolutely. Yeah. Like uh, the, the, the character Ronnie, um, him being so new to being on stage, I mean, he's just eating it up. He's yeah. hungry. And he's, just, <laughs> he's just enjoying it. Even when he's not on stage, he's yeah. just watching and laughing and, and, and just having a ball. Yeah. Just having a ball. Bring all of that up because there are uh, still lots of productions uh, left. There's still, uh, you're not to the end of the season yet. No, no, right? not at so, all. The next, the next uh, production's coming up in December, mm-hmm. um, which is called It's a Wonderful Life, a yeah. live radio It's play. a live radio uh, yeah. play in the format of uh, the old-time radio Old-time plays. radio, yeah. uh, which will be absolutely fun. And, that but really it's produced be. on stage. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we have a, a, second, a second stage show coming up uh, called Finding Home. Um, and then... Uh, um, Going into next year, yeah, uh, will be uh, our spring show. Will be Titanic, which is a great musical. Yeah, so we is... haven't done that on the stage in in ten years. Yeah, it's it's a terrific musical. A lot of great music uh, in, in that. I've not seen it, but I've heard the soundtrack, and it is yes. uh, wonderful stuff. So always an opportunity yeah. to uh, get involved in whatever level you're comfortable with. Right, you know, absolutely, Playhouse. and we are welcoming. The show dates are, uh, we open next Thursday, not this Thursday, Mm -hmm. uh, which is October 12th uh, through the 15th. The 15th is a Sunday, which is a matinee, Mm -hmm. and then uh, October 20th through the 23rd, uh, and uh, uh, the matinees are at 5 o'clock, so a little bit earlier, Okay, um, but uh, the other performances are at 8 uh, and you can, chances are you'll be able to be home uh, by 10. Uh, <laughs> for those that like to go bed early and get up early. <laughs> exactly. But it's a great date night. Uh, oh. Great uh, evening for uh, couples out of order, a farce. Tickets are actually on sale today, today. to the, the uh, general public. The box office is open uh, 11 to 3. Okay. And you can, you can come in person, but uh, also you can go out uh, I was going to say, the uh, easiest way to get uh, tickets is actually on the website. So. It is. They are available today, and the show opens later this month. Out of order, a farce. We've got a link up on our webpage for more information about it. And again, Assistant Director David Wright with us uh, this morning. David, thanks very much for dropping by. We appreciate oh, I really it. appreciate it. Come out and see the show. And that will finish up our podcast for today. I want to thank all of our guests for joining us on the program this morning. And remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each and every day on the show at our webpage course go to goodmornings.net you can also connect with us on social media you can sign up for our daily email newsletter and more again goodmornings.net so until tomorrow morning that is good mornings for this morning now that you've had a good morning go on out and make it a good day we'll catch you back here tomorrow